Heavenly Father, we thank you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We thank you for victory in Jesus. And we thank you for salvation that comes only in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your finished and completed work through your death on the cross. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have in the middle of the week to come and gather together around the Word of God and to fellowship with one another. Thank you for our brothers and sisters who have led us in worship. Worthy is, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We honor you tonight, Lord Jesus, and we praise you for all that you have done that we might have life and hope and joy. And so tonight, Lord, we come before you as we do each Wednesday night and we pause for a moment and we ask that you would put someone on our hearts tonight, on our minds, that we should pray for. So in the quiet of this moment, we pause to allow you to impress upon our minds that particular person. So, Lord, we present this person to you now. We ask that the will of God would be done in his or her life, whatever their age, whatever their circumstances, whatever they're going through tonight. May your perfect will be done in their lives. If they're lost, may they be saved. If they're saved, may they grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege we have of knowing you, having a living relationship with you, how we pray that we pray God's best for these who may be going through the worst of times or through the best of times. We continue to pray for our country. We pray that you might may accomplish your purposes in this world, on this planet. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so that you might come, Lord Jesus. That is our driving desire and burden, our greatest desire for you to come. Lord, we pray for those who are not with us here in this building, but are gathered with us because we can do so in these days with technology, and we thank you for them joining us. May you bless them, whatever their condition, some sick and, and unable to be here, others uh, working, others not able to be here for other reasons. May you bless them all, and all of us who have gathered together, one in spirit, and we, we're grateful for it. Now teach us from the Word of God tonight, and may, these, may this night be a good night for us, and may we... May we have a limitation of distractions. May we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. Good to see all of you. If you have your Bibles, find your place in the book of Philippians. We're continuing our discussion together of the things we need. Things we need. And as we uh, have moved from Second Peter, if you've been with us for some time, we've been talking about a number of things that we need as followers of Jesus. Well, tonight we come back to Philippians and we talk about the importance of this thing called contentment. What do we need? We need contentment. So tonight I want to talk to you about learning how to be content. The practice of contentment is learned. It's a learned practice. Uh, just because I'm saved... 
we learn from the Word of God that, that, that some things grow in our life, and one of those things that grows, that demonstrates um, growth in godliness, is contentment. And so we'll be focusing on it tonight, and we'll see how we do in the days ahead. And I'm glad you're here with us. Those of you who are here, may the Lord bless you. And those of you who are listening, God bless you. I hear from off, often from many of you, and I'm glad that you're able to uh, join in with us as you can. So before we read these words in Philippians chapter 4, where was our dear brother Paul in these days? Well, he was in jail. That's not a very contented place to be, is it? In jail. In jail, not because he was a thief. In jail, not because he was a murderer or a liar. In jail, because he was standing up for the truth of the gospel and sharing the gospel. And to these Philippians in this church at Philippi, they were some of his dearest, most loved brothers and sisters. He loved them deeply and had such a joy in his heart for them. In fact, sitting in jail there, think about it in the first century, no technology like we have. Jail, you know, jail wasn't like jail even today. It basically was a hole in the ground. That was the way the Romans did it. And he was in a in a hard place. Uh, and so here he is thinking about his dear beloved brethren. In fact, he says it in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, my beloved brethren. He loved the brothers and sisters in Christ who meant so much to him that were in Philippi. So here's our friend, here's our brother Paul, who gives us a testimony of a man who learned how to be content. Paul had to learn how to be content. Just like you and I must learn how to be content. Well, these are familiar verses, but I want us to begin reading in verse number 4, and we'll read Philippians chapter 4, beginning uh, in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, through verse number 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit or let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if, there is, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think on these things. The things you have heard, that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want or not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. 
in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of Your Word, and may the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the focus tonight is this, every Christian must learn to be content in all circumstances. So what is contentment? We find this word in verse number 11. Paul says, I have learned to be content. Well, the actual word means to be self-sufficient, or maybe I could say it this way, to be self-satisfied. To be satisfied uh, on the inside, to have a satisfaction, to have a sufficiency. Now, this is not prideful self-sufficiency that says, I don't need God. This is not a, an idea of sufficiency that says, uh, I know what's best. This is, this is, as we'll see tonight as we unfold, contentment because of our walk with God and our relationship with God. So what I want to do is take you through, because I, what, what's beautiful about uh, Philippians 4 is Paul actually describes the nature of contentment in the earlier verses of this chapter, and then he draws the conclusion and his testimony about contentment in verses 11 and 12. So if you've never seen those things, it's, it's a wonderful thing. You see, the contented Christian, as I've given you on the outline tonight, is a holy, H-O-L-Y, a holy, indifferent Christian. We're indifferent to our circumstances, whatever they may be. So I speak to my brother today, dear brother, I've known him for 20 plus years. Uh, sadly, um, he, uh, his wife, he and his wife are in the car, and his wife has a massive heart attack and dies right there in his arms. There he is. He has to take her to the emergency room. In these days in which we live, he can't even go in the emergency room. And his dear wife dies. Loves the Lord. Walked with God. Wonderful couple. So here we talk today. Weep, cry, rejoice, laugh, share. Uh, and so then what does he say? He says, more than anything in my life, I want to be holy. Yeah. That's it. He has, he has described for me what I'm trying to say to you tonight. Does it mean that he has no emotions about his wife's death, the suddenness of it, the shock of it all? Well, they were just going down to the store. And that was it. I say this to you all the time as your pastor. We're surrounded by death in these days. It's all around us. The sadness of the world's condition is that in the midst of all this that we're going through, so few will bow their knee and believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. They're just hard-hearted. But what did my friend say? He was wholly indifferent. He's walked with God for many years in his life. And in the midst of all the emotion, in the midst of all that we talked about, about his dear wife that uh, Pat and I had the privilege of knowing and working with for many years, he has a holy indifference. Now this change has come and he said, what I want more than anything else is to be a man of God, a holy man. 
So where are you tonight in your circumstances? I'm looking around at all of you in here. We all came in here with them, didn't we? All of us have got them. He says it here, uh, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances, whatever circumstances. So we all brought our bag of circumstances in here. You brought it all in here with you. This is the challenge of trying to hear the Word of God, to read God's Word, to pray, to worship, is we're so pulled. What did the Lord call it? The cares of the world. The cares of the world. Every one of us, every one of us on the waves like the waves of the sea, the circumstances of life. My dear brother didn't expect that his dear wife's day to go to be with the Lord would be last Thursday. But we don't have a choice in that. Someone today perhaps didn't think that today would be the day they got the news that they didn't have a job or that something's happened in their family or that someone in their family is, has an illness or, again, I, or something's happened with a child at school or the circumstances of life, my dear friends. The Lord has left us in this world and this world is full of circumstances and don't act spiritual as if you don't have circumstances in your life. Every last one of us do. The question is, will we walk with God and live? You see, we all need this. The preacher needs it. We all need this matter, this thing that Paul the Apostle learned in jail. He learned from the hardness of his circumstances. Boy, life is hard, isn't it? It is hard. It can be very hard. And the hardness of it is, is surrounding all of the circumstances that come in our life. So Paul says, I have, uh, I have learned to be content. So we talk about the lessons of learning to be content tonight. First of all, I have five of them for you here. If you picked up the outline, if you didn't, you can follow along with me or just listen. Uh, first of all, what do we learn? Every Christian must learn the qualities and duty of contentment. And underneath this, you see these, five, these four elements that Paul outlines for us in verses 4, 5, 6, and 8. So let me talk about those for a moment. The qualities of contentment. What, is, what does it really look like to be, to have a holy indifference? In other words, I've given you this dramatic example of my friend, but it's, true, it's really true. Uh, it was amazing to talk with him and for him to see and to experience and to say by faith and trust. He knows what happened to his wife was best, though he doesn't understand it. He truly has a trusting, holy indifference. It's what Paul said about his own life. Whether I live in this world or whether I die, I'd rather go be with the Lord, but if I have to be here. You see, that's, that's that holy indifference. Whether I'm living or dying, what does he say in 2 Corinthians? I make it my aim. I make it my goal to be pleasing to God. Those are the word, That's the language of holy indifference. That's the language of contentment. And listen, you're not of any value to the work of God when you live without contentment. Always dissatisfied. And I've been laboring to talk to you about this over the last few weeks. 
avoiding dissatisfaction and asking you and asking myself, why am I, why am I so dissatisfied? And then hitting it so hard last week, talking about lust. Lust is not a young man's problem and a young woman's problem. It's everybody's problem because it's desire for that which is, it is the craving for things that are forbidden that will never satisfy us. And this is the challenge we have with our flesh. So when I am, I am most valuable to God, I am most useful to God when I live my life with a holy indifference to my circumstances. And I have spent all of these many, many years in ministry not only complaining myself to God and murmuring about my circumstances, but listening to countless hundreds and hundreds of people through the years complaining about their circumstances. Well, you know, as long as we're in this world, we'll have these whatever circumstances. And they're so quick to change. So we must get a grip on this and have reality in our minds. We must learn the qualities and duties of contentment. First, it's the duty of the Christian to rejoice in the Lord always. Did you see this here? Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always is the word that reminds us of the whatever circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord always when you are attacked and criticized and you're forsaken. Rejoice in the Lord always when you get sick. Rejoice in the Lord always when you've been given that new job and you've been blessed and your business grows and your family is good and healthy. Rejoice in the Lord always when you get married. Rejoice in the Lord always when you live a long time with your spouse. Rejoice always with your children and your grandchildren and the opportunity. Rejoice always in your church, even though your church has its good moments and its bad moments. I can go on. Rejoice in the Lord always. The always has to do with the whatever circumstances. And I ask you tonight, is that true in your life? Rejoicing, as we know, is not a silliness and a silly kind of a mentality. It is that, that calm confidence that we have. We joy in the Lord because we know the Lord is at work in our lives. Whatever is coming, it's, a, it's an act of faith. Because of my faith in God, there comes to be hope, and hope leads to joy. That's the way Paul describes it in Romans, as we've talked about before. So I ask you tonight, do you understand the duty of joying, rejoicing, joying in the Lord? I rejoice in the Lord always, in all my circumstances. The focus isn't rejoicing in my circumstances, the the, the joy is in the Lord, in His presence, in His power, in His connection in my life, in me. Rejoice in the Lord for all His love for us, for all that His grace and His mercy gives. Rejoice in the Lord for what He has done. Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. That's the source of joy. In the Lord. The Lord is the source of joy. Not my circumstances. Whatever they are, I rejoice in the Lord. This is Paul's thing. He's in jail. 
perhaps by himself. He, what a sweet thing he says in verse 10. Look at this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, at last, you have revived your concern for me. Paul wasn't getting any packages from UPS sent to the prison. There weren't any packages from Prime being sent down there to that rotten hole he was in. He wasn't, he wasn't seeing too many people, perhaps there with one of his brothers in Christ in jail, but he says, now at last I rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because God has provided the church at Philippi to again... Again, their concern for Paul has been revived. That's why it's an example of him rejoicing in the Lord. He rejoiced in the Lord because they were the ones that he saw that had grown in Christ. He had fond memories of them. For, for you, indeed, you, you were concerned before, verse 10, but you, you lacked opportunity. It is, contentment is... Rejoicing in the Lord always. Secondly, contentment, the quality of contentment, it is the duty of the Christian to live with a gentle spirit because we know the Lord is near. Now, in the days ahead, I hope to be talking about the Lord being near. The Lord is near tonight. I want you to all know this. It's not popular to preach on it, but the Lord is near the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is near, Paul says. Therefore, be sober in your judgment and sound in your judgment for prayer. You see, some people keep thinking it's going to get better. But are you a gentle person in the midst of the mess of the world? Or are you a bitter, angry brutal person. The saddest thing in the world is to see Christians who live in anger toward one another rather than in gentleness toward one another. Gentleness doesn't mean you just kind of bow your head and talk softly. Gentleness is that idea that you do not attack. It is that idea that you are kind that you're genuine with others and you're concerned for them. You have a gentle spirit about you. Gentleness is not weakness. But you see, we're gentle because we know the Lord is about to come through the door. How did James say it? Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Oh, the Lord is near. The Lord is near, about to be here, about to come. But most Christians don't think about the nearness of the Lord's return. We're distracted by our world. We're distracted by the cares of our life and raising our children and doing the things with our family and doing our job and you know, trying to get everybody else straightened out and go through all the things we do. You see, it is the duty of the Christian to live with a gentle spirit. I wonder tonight, are you a gentle soul or are you a brutal soul? Well, Contentment demonstrates a gentleness. It is a, it, it is a calming of the soul and the mind. And when my mind is calmed, I become a gentle soul. And you see, contentment comes because I know 
no matter what my circumstances, the Lord is near. That becomes very important. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Look, the wicked men and women who do not know God should see in us a gentleness. Those who live with us in our homes ought to see the gentleness in us. Our church family and friends ought to see the gentleness in us. Let your, your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. And third, this quality of contentment is not only joyful and gentle, but also these are, these are outward responses, these are outward actions, qualities that come from this matter of holy indifference, uh, this matter of self-satisfaction because we're walking with God. It is the duty of the Christian not to worry about anything but to pray about everything. Look at it there in verse 6. This is hard for the flesh. This is hard for our minds. Our old nature does not like this, what I'm about to talk about. But Paul is simply reminding us of what the Lord Jesus taught us all in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry about anything. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. So this matter of contentment has to do with putting aside worry. Putting, you see, that's holy indifference. I'm not going to worry about my whatever circumstances. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to do it. It is my duty to rejoice in the Lord always, whatever circumstances. To live with a gentle spirit, whatever circumstances, because the Lord is near. To not worry about anything. Some of us say, well, I'm, I'm not going to worry about these things, but I'm going to worry about these. We're selective. No, don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God that follows in verse 7 is a beautiful part of this matter of contentment. The peace of God which comes from prayer sets the mind in a condition of contentment. Calm. Prayer will help you experience contentment. This is our training. This is our learning. You'll be better for your family and you'll be better for yourself if you learn not to worry about anything. But lots of people are worrying these days, aren't they? There's a lot of worry in the church. There's a lot of worry in families. The old people worry, and the young people worry, and the little children worry because their moms and dads worry. And the Lord said, don't worry. What do we do, my friends? What do we do? Will we ever learn? Well, you know, Pastor Mike, our family just comes from a long line of worriers. Is that your excuse? It's in your DNA? You're born with it? Well, so is everybody else. But you must refuse to worry. You say to yourself when you get up in the morning, have a good strong talk with yourself. I'm not going to worry today. I'm going to pray about everything. And I'm going to be thankful for everything. All of a sudden, your mind 
changes. It is the duty of the Christian to set their minds on the best things. Verse 8 is, and, and all of these deserve a, a talk on each one. I'm just highlighting them. I have a lot of long ways to go here, but I want to move through this. Finally, <clears throat> here's another act of contentment. You know what it is? It's what you think about. What have you been thinking about today? I can promise you this. If you think about the wrong things, your mind will be stirred up into an uproar. That's why you're so in such upheaval. Because of what you're thinking about. Paul gives us this beautiful, here's how you learn contentment. You rejoice always in the Lord. You live with a gentle spirit knowing you have a knowledge that Jesus is coming and He's soon to come. You don't worry about anything. You pray about everything with thanksgiving. This is the training. This is the learning of contentment. And you set your mind on the best things. Some of us have our minds set on the worst things. And the longer you listen to things in the media, the more you'll think about worse things. The media is demonstrating and speaking the values of the world. They're not speaking to you the values of God. You must measure your time in media. You must measure your time in the world and determine how much of it you will allow to affect your thinking versus the Word of God. And this is a challenge for every Christian in our church. Because it's, it's affecting your thinking. And it's affecting your lack of satisfaction or holy indifference. It is the duty of the Christian to set their minds on the best things. Look at them. True things. Now just take that someday and think about true things all day long. Just think about true things. True things. Think about honorable things. Honorable, th not dishonorable things. The world news is all about the dishonorable and the untrue. That's why it's news. Think about that which is honorable, my dear brothers and sisters. Think about things that are right. There is right and wrong. <laughs> there is right and wrong. Think about right things. Think about pure things. There is impurity. Plenty of it to go around. Think of pure things. Think of lovely, or the, the word can be translated, lovable things. Lovable things. Think about things that are of good reputation. Think about excellent things. Things that are excellent. There are so many ways you can think about this. And think of things that are worthy of praise. And, and this phrase here at verse 8, dwell on these things. Uh, the, the language here in the New Testament, this, these Greek words, mean, the idea is to ponder these. Think on this. Go each day with one of these on your mind. Take it and dwell on it and think about it when you go to work, when you have your times for uh, pause during the day when you're in your schedule. Pick one of these things for the day. Don't do them all one day, but pick one at a time. And you'll discover something happening to your mind. When you begin to think about the best of things, it changes and settles your mind on God's best things. So we fill our mind with the best things and it, and it assists us in experiencing contentment. Number two, every Christian must learn the importance of contentment. I have learned to be content. Hard lessons. School 
school. This is, this is a better, these are better lessons than any school can ever teach you. The whatever circumstances uh, push upon us and teach us either how to live badly or how to live godly. Learning contentment is hard because it's against nature. Nature says, I'm mad, I'm dissatisfied, I got to have more, I got to get more, I got to make more, I got to do more, go, 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 it's never enough, never enough, never enough. Learning contentment is hard, it's against nature, lust drives you to do more, desire pushes you hard, even to the destruction of your personal life and your family. You see, learning contentment is hard. Its importance comes because of the sad results of dis discontentment. You see, we learn from our mistakes, don't we? We learn from the sadness of our discontented times. Think about some of the sad things you've done because you weren't satisfied. Some people have discovered it because they weren't satisfied in their marriage. Now it's gone. They weren't satisfied with pick whatever you want. Relationships they had with others. Every Christian must uh, learn from the lessons of all circumstances. Notice, whatever the conditions, contentment can be practiced. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Contentment learned reveals that we're Christians. Contentment learned... Uh, contentment learns, uh, learned it means getting along in humble conditions. Look at this. I know how to get along with humble means. Do you? Well, I used to, Pastor. No, I'm talking about today. Do you know how to get along with humble means when you didn't have anything? This is especially hard for American Christians in our prosperity. Contentment learns getting along in prosperity. Do you know how to get along in prosperity? Do you know how to get along with a full belly? Do you know how to get along when you're going hungry? Do you have, a, do you have an indifference to your condition, whether it's humble, humility and humble conditions, poor conditions, or prosperity, or fullness, or going hungry, or abundance, or need? You see, that's the whatever circumstances. The secret of contentment is getting along with this holy indifference in any and every circumstance. Paul says it here. I have learned, second time he says it, the secret. I've learned the secret of the whatever the circumstance to be content. Paul said it this way, and I've given it to you here, 2 Corinthians 6, 4. This is just his testimony, and in fact, it's 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in 4 through 10, and I just printed it out for you here. But in everything, look at this, look at this contrast that he gives here. This is the testimony of the secret of getting along with holy indifference to whatever your circumstance. In everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in affliction, in hardship, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. By glory and dishonor, there they are. He's indifferent. He's going to serve the Lord whether he's being honored or dishonored. By evil report or good report, he's going to serve the Lord if people are attacking him or if they're giving or blessing him. 
speaking well of him, regarded as a deceiver, yet true, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. There it is. That's the secret of contentment. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. And then I underlined the last phrase, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Paul learned to be indifferent to his circumstances. Have you? That's why he breaks out and says in 13, the confident statement of the contented. I can do all things. I can do whatever the circumstances through Him who strengthens me. Well, some things to remember as we finish up tonight. Just let me linger here to just apply some of this for us. Contentment is an internal condition that affects our external life. I wonder what's on the inside of you tonight. Are you, you know, again... Uh, what is it? It's still one of my most favorite gospel accounts of the Lord Jesus. You know it well, all of you here tonight and all of you listening. You remember the Lord went over there to across the waters and there the man from the graveyard met him with those broken chains hanging from his hands. In, he could not be contained, filled with demons. And what does he do? Well, the demons know better. He, he comes and bows and the demons say, what, well, have you come to torment us before the day? And you remember the Lord cast those demons out of that uh, broken dear man. And what did it say? The people came out from the city and they saw this man sitting there clothed in his right mind. That's contentment. All the rage is gone. All of the tortured mind and drivenness and anxiety and hate and all this flowing of emotions that are wicked and sinful, sitting there clothed in his right mind. No more chains. Free in Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus has changed us so that we might experience satisfaction, but contentment is a habitual condition. It's in whatever circumstances I am in. It's not just contentment in the good day, contentment in the happy time. It's contentment all the time. It's habitual. Contentment is a command of God. Hebrews 13.5 says, be content with what you have. So tonight I say to you, church, be content with what you have. Go home tonight and think about what you have. Before you lay your head on the pillow, ask yourself and ask the Lord, Lord... Am I living with contentment tonight for what I have? You see, most of us spend our time worrying about what we don't have. But what do you have? Be content with what you have. Contentment rests also on the promise of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I can be content knowing that the Lord will never leave nor forsake me. Whatever my circumstances, He is with us. He is with us in all of them. He is with some of you, my friends, who aren't venturing out these days and you're all alone by yourself. He's with you, as we've talked about on Sunday mornings. He is with us. There's nowhere you can go to escape the presence of God. He is with you. 
He is with you and He is in you if you're saved. Contentment comforts and settles the troubled mind. Contentment is the best learning in life. It's the best way. It's the best learning of all. If I'll only pause long enough to reflect on the discontentment of my life, it will help me to learn how to be content. That's what I'm saying. Go back and look at the times when you have made decisions based on your dissatisfaction of your life. You know what you have? A lot of regret from all of that. If we could be satisfied with less, we'd be less unsatisfied. Contentment is the crown jewel of a happy life, and contentment protects us from many sins, impatience, murmuring, temptation, lust, unbelief. I could have gone on. Contentment is ever learning from all of our conditions. I wish I could say that the rest of your days would be pleasant, good, and peaceful, but that wouldn't be true. We live in a world, a fallen world, with all of the despicable things that happen, and the Lord permits these things in our life so that we might be His people. So will you learn from all of your conditions? You know, it's amazing. Some of our people who are in some of the hardest conditions are the most encouraging. It's amazing to me. I've seen it in some of our people who are extremely sick these days. And yet, they seek to encourage everyone around them in the midst of their sickness. And the healthy people do nothing but gripe and complain. Contentment is an ever-learning process. We learn in whatever circumstances. And so the Lord brings them in our life. As I told you a few weeks ago, talking about murmuring, it's a dangerous thing to complain against God. God judged Israel because all they did was murmur about the conditions He put them through. So perhaps you should pause, as I do, and learn humility from your circumstances. That's what God... The Lord says to me, Mike, these things are in your life because I want you to learn humility. These things are in your life, Mike, because I want you to learn faith. These things are in your life because I want you to learn how to repent of your sin so that you might live in holiness. These things are in your life so that you might learn to pray. Talk to me about it. Learning. I have learned, Paul said. I have learned in the school of whatever the circumstances. Well, how do we end tonight? Well, we must practice holy indifference in all our circumstances. Why don't you practice it as you leave tonight? Practice holy indifference. Praise the Lord. Whatever it is that's coming. That's not a mindless thing to say. That's not an irresponsible thing to say. That's not, that's not shirking your responsibility when troubles come. It is your response in holy indifference demonstrates your faith and trust in God. Rejoice in all your circumstances. And for some of us here tonight, and some of you listening to me and watching, I know it's hard for you to hear that tonight, but you must rejoice in your circumstances. Just as my friend and I talked about today, in the midst of his deep sadness in losing his wife, only five days ago, he was rejoicing. The world will never understand that. You'll never understand it unless you're saved. 
Be thankful in all your circumstances and pray in all your circumstances. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Please, please. I can do all things. Or tell it to yourself if you're sitting alone. God bless you all. It's good to see you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth of your word. How we pray that in the midst of the storms raging around us and the confusion and the emotions and the noise and the loudness and the madness of it all, may we find ourselves like the Lord Jesus in the boat asleep, just content, completely at peace. And may the peace of God, that, oh, that joy of the peaceful contentment of God, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be your contented ones. Whatever you've given to us is enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Good to see all of you. Hope you have a great week. Hope to see you Sunday. Say hello to somebody on your way out. May the Lord bless you. Have a good week.